You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, senior contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, coming to you off of an epic, epic All-Star Week in Cleveland. Boy, oh boy, I tell you what, maybe it's just the hometown bias or what, whatever it may be, but from my perspective, the Indians and the city absolutely killed it as far as hosting the All-Star Game this week, and it's been nothing but positive feedback ever since. And uh, joining me, as always, to recap the... Uh, all-Star event, and then we'll also be previewing the second half as well, uh, is Justin Lada, uh, IBI Editor-in-Chief. Justin, you were at the uh, uh, Futures game, the Celebrity Softball game, and I think you were at the All-Star game too, is that right? Yeah, I was, and I was downtown Saturday as well for um, some other events that were going on. There was a meetup for Fangraphs, so I was down there Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday. Very nice, very nice. So, uh, you obviously weren't there for that uh, epic home run derby that took place on uh, Monday, but you were there for the game on Tuesday. Uh, you got to see Shane Bieber uh, win All-Star Game MVP after the American League topped the NL 4-3 uh, to three as they continue their All-Star Game dominance. And, uh, you know, it was great to see so much uh, positivity and just there, you said it before we went on the air Justin there was really just nothing negative about the goings on in Cleveland this week I mean the weather was beautiful uh, everybody had nothing but positive things to say about this, about the city and uh, how they went about hosting the festivities and how the Indians uh, turned everything out the stadium everything else as far as um, making sure to uh put out the best, put forth the best effort to host uh, the rest of Major League Baseball, and I tell you what, um, you know, it's been the first time that the Indians have hosted the All-Star Game in over a decade, and, or actually almost over 20 years, actually, Um, and they've, they did themselves proud, and I commend the Indians, the city of Cleveland, and uh, everybody involved in putting this event together and making it what it was because I think everybody walked away with nothing but positive memories to cherish for years to come. Yeah, everything was great. I mean, uh, transportation was fine. They had everything set up perfectly for that. The ballpark was packed. They had all kinds of sorts of new food. Everything everything downtown seemed like it went smoothly. Getting around was, was easy. For everybody I've heard, getting around from the media and, and out-of-towners was easy. Sounds like everybody who was in here from out-of-town really enjoyed themselves. So, yeah, and you said it from the Futures game to the softball game. I mean, Cleveland versus the world. How could you not love that format if you're a Clevelander? It was so, so fun to see some of the guys back on the field. I mean, you got to see Jim Tomey, Kenny Lofton, Carlos Baer got share a field again and play the same team. And then you had in Travis Hafner and where else could you have gone to see guys like Joe Thomas and Jim Tomey play softball together? Like, you can't get that anywhere else. And then the home run derby was great. There were people complaining earlier about why why Vlad Guerrero with eight or nine home runs was on the roster or why he got to participate. And then he had that showing, and everyone was like, oh, that's why. So 
that was perfect. I mean, the game was great. I think everything with the game, the game, the game was fast. I think everybody enjoyed the pace of it. Even though I, I couldn't have cared less what the pace was, it was fantastic. I, I, I there really, there's nothing to complain about with this event. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the celebrity softball game. Travis, how about Travis Hafner hitting that ball out of Progressive Field uh, over the wall in in right field as he has done so many times in his career, doing it in a softball game. That's pretty impressive and something that, uh, according to uh, according to the history of the celebrity softball game, has never been done before. So uh, kudos to Travis Hafner for that, but it's certainly something that he's used to. Um, so very you know exciting. how hard it is it a softball 325 feet? That is true. Yeah, I know. I'm, I, I, I can only imagine because you've you got to generate a lot of power because a softball isn't thrown that hard. And yet you have to generate a lot of power to uh, get the physics down as far as uh, hitting a ball that far, a softball that far. Because uh, that you talk about launch angle and exit velocity. That, you got to generate a lot of both of those to hit a softball out of a uh, major league ballpark. Yeah, let alone I think the I think the fences were set up to be like two twenty. Two twenty is a pop for, for softball, especially when you're talking about guys, you know, Tommy's what in his fifties. I think Hafner is a little bit younger, but I mean, there are there are guys who do it who play professional softball that are kind of beer league softballers, but it's still hard to hit a softball that far. So that to do that's really impressive and nobody else did. I know Bertie Williamson went over the fence and I think one of the other celebrities did, but nobody hit it out of the stadium, and it, it shouldn't be a shock that Hafner was the one to do it. Well, I want to get into this uh, All-Star festivities recap from start to finish here, but uh, just really quick, uh, since we last spoke, uh, the Indians finished off the first half of the season winning six in a row uh, thanks to back-to-back sweeps of the Royals and the Reds. Um, they swept the Reds in that two-game series to win the Ohio Cup once again. Uh, the last game, I think, it was eleven to what was that final score? Eleven to one, and before the right mm-hmm. before the break, it was quite an impressive way to finish the uh, first half, especially after that road, the way the road trip started with the two thirteen uh, nothing losses to Baltimore to start that road trip, and then they came back and uh, salvaged a win that series, and of course swept uh, Kansas City and Cincinnati to, to follow. So six in a row, they're riding, they're heading into a series, a crucial series against the Twins coming out of the all-star break here they're five and a half games out uh with those 13 games remaining between the two clubs starting on thursday um so we're gonna get into the second half predictions here uh but any thoughts before we get into the all-star game stuff about the how that you try to finish out the first half in that uh series against the reds they needed it because that sort of ends the soft portion of their schedule so they needed i mean they 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 dropped the ball against the orioles but they needed to recover the way they did because after the break, the schedule gets a little bit harder, so they needed to make up that ground when they could because it's going to get harder from here on out. Exactly, yeah, and the Twins' schedule, I think, only gets easier from here on out, so they've got a lot to uh, get through still, um, and they got to take advantage of those games against the Twins moving forward here, but we'll get into that in more detail in a second here. Let's just uh, continue with the uh, fun, lighthearted discussion about the uh, All-Star break, and uh, just to go back to the Futures game, first of all, you know, we had Nolan Jones and Daniel Johnson go 0 for 1, uh, they each grounded out, and a 2 for 2, 2, uh, 2 to 2 tie in the Futures game. Um, so, you know, not a ton of excitement there. There wasn't a hit, I think, until the fourth inning. But, uh, Justin, you were at that Futures game. Um, what was the vibe with uh, 
Jones and Johnson. I know that they both were very, uh, very pleased to be able to play at Progressive Field in Cleveland in their first, both their first career futures games. Um, so what was the vi- what was the vibe around that game, and especially when it comes to uh, the two two of the tribe's top prospects? The vibe overall was that the pitching was really good. It was a low scoring game because the pitching was really good. Everybody that came out of that. The bullpen on AONNL was throwing smoke. I mean, the slowest pitcher, I think, through 92. That's just unbelievable. Uh, so pitching was fun. It was a real bummer to see Jones and Johnson both offer the first pitch. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen Nolan Jones swing at the first pitch in all the games I saw him play in Lake County. I don't know that I've ever saw him one time swing at the first pitch. And he picked a bad one to swing at that. So that's dunk. Doe for a ball to his right at third base, and it was a little bit of a flow on it, and that prompted um, a couple of the prospect guys from MLB Pipeline and Baseball America to say, and Keith Law to say that if he has, that's the kind of jumps he gets on ground balls to his right, he's going to wind up being better off at first base in the outfield. So that was, that was a bit of a stinger. And then Daniel Johnson, I think he was the only one, decided that it was too warm for sleeves, so he went like the outfield <laughs> swing in the, red, the Reds round. He's out there pregame just – Sprinting in uh, a sleeveless jersey, and he he hit like that. So that was kind of funny, you know, a nice little flair to his game. Uh, but he also did the same thing Jones did. So, and he only DH, so we didn't get to see him in the field either. So, I guess kind of disappointing from an Indians aspect, but fun the rest of the way. He must have been hanging out with J.R. Smith before the game. Yeah, he must have been sitting in a third base dugout or something, and. Happened to see that uh, J.R. Smith was having the time of his life doing that. Yeah, exactly, uh, which brings us to that celebrity softball game. Uh, unfortunately, the Cleveland versus the World format didn't work out so well for Cleveland as the World topped them 21-16 to in the celebrity softball game, but it was still all fun in games. I watched uh, as much of it as I could after the home run derby, and I got to see uh, Hafner hit the ball out of the yard that, there and uh, – you know, I got to see uh, I got to see Kenny Lofton, Jim Tomey. I got to see uh, Landon Tomey take his at bat, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, and yeah, it's just all fun and games. Uh, the Miz was having a great time out starting the game and pitching, and uh, yeah, just everybody was having fun. And, and you couldn't ask for anything more. And I think that uh, they really got behind the uh, the Cleveland versus the World format and really had fun with it. So that was nice to see. Yeah, I can't believe, and I'll, I'll tell you who who is to blame. If you didn't watch the whole thing, you can you can blame pretty much the whole game on Simone Biles. She was playing like left center field for an inning, and literally every every ball for like four or five straight hitters came right to her, and she just whiffed catching all of them. She was not even close to catching it. So great athlete, great gymnast, bad bad softball player. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, she kind of made it maybe allowed about four of those runs that inning just by not making catches so but it's a real bummer that roster couldn't pull it off i was waiting for you know a cleveland style comeback in the bottom of the fifth inning because they only played five innings but i was waiting for them to come back and have an epic walk off as only cleveland could do but they didn't yeah there was a comeback there for a little while there in the middle innings uh you know they were down what was it, like 10 to 3 or something like that and they and they mounted started to mount a comeback um, and I think they got back within one run, and then, yeah, I guess later in the game, that's where the world opened it up a little bit more, and then that's, Cleveland wasn't able to recover, but 
it was still fun. You know, Drew Carey was out there. He was playing right field, I believe, and uh, they mic'd him up during the game, and he was he was talking and having some fun. And so yeah, it was it was overall a fun experience. I'd never really gotten into the celebrity softball game before, but that was that was a fun one to watch. Yeah, well, obviously we were going to because it's Cleveland versus the world. We got to see Cleveland athletes, so that was uh, an easy draw for us. But you know, it could have been a lot worse. I think for back they lost, it was still pretty fun. It was pretty wild to see Carlos Bear get a homer and just see everybody erupt at Kenny Lofton and to see Hafner leave the yard. The eruptions from the crowd, like you could tell, it was pretty heavily in Cleveland's favor as far as the crowd was concerned, which. Hey, the last time there was a large baseball event in Cleveland, uh, there happened to be more team fans of the opposing team than the Indians. So it's a welcome change from that. Sure, absolutely. So now we get into where the real uh, power, uh, uh, pun intended, started to uh, come into fruition here, and that was in the Home Run Derby, which I got to tell you, you know, um, I mentioned this on the a farm report podcast with Corey. Uh, you know, my fiance and I watch, had a chance to watch it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get down, get up to Cleveland uh, for the festivities. You know, I got a little fi- uh, financials are a little strained right now due to the impending nuptials and also uh, some employment changes recently. So I wasn't able to partake, but I was watching the home run derby on the big screen here at home, and uh, my fiance and I both. Uh, she had never seen the home run derby before, and it was. It was uh, an epic one to watch. I'm telling you, we couldn't have picked a better one to uh, start watching. And she was into it. We were both into it. And just watching Vlad Guerrero Jr. That second round, Vlad Guerrero Jr. versus uh, Jacques Peterson, was probably one of the most impressive uh, displays and of competition we will ever see in that uh, setting because, you know, just when we thought that uh, after the – after Vlad Guerrero hit, what was it, 29 home runs in the, when he was up to bat, uh, we thought, no way Jock Peterson matches that. He goes up and does it, so they have the swing off. Uh, Vlad hits, what, eight more? And then okay, we're like, okay, Jock Peterson has to be tired now. He's not going to match that. Boom, he does it with his arms practically falling off, but he's still launching him out of the park. And then they have the swing. Then they have the second swing off, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Jock Peterson just came up a little bit short of that. But it was so much fun to watch. And, you know, I know Pete Alonso won the Derby, and he's deserving because, in all honesty, Vlad Guerrero Jr. just ran out of gas. But it was an impressive display of power from not just Guerrero Jr. and uh, Alonzo and Jock Peterson, but also from, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, you know, Carlos Santana hit 13. And I was really impressed with the the rookie contingent that was making an impact in the home run derby. That was nice to see as well. Yeah, unfortunately for Pete Alonzo, who won it, I think 10, 15 years from now, when people talk about the 2019 home run derby, they're going to talk about the Vlad Guerrero and Jock Peterson round. Everyone's going to forget that Pete Alonso um, won the whole thing, which is very unfortunate for him because he was a lot of fun too. But I have to think Vlad would have taken him down if it wasn't for the fact that um, he had to take so many swings in the previous round. It takes a lot out of you. People don't realize just how how much effort people have to put into a home run derby. It's a lot of 
strength and, and, and endurance to do well in those. So I think Vlad would have won it, but it was still fun regardless. And I did not expect Jock Peterson to give him much of a challenge after what he did. Yeah, gotta give give that credit to him, and uh, it's just, you could tell you could physically and visibly tell that he was that he was gassed even like midway through the first uh, through the first tiebreaker round, but yet he somehow managed to summon that strength to uh, hit a few more balls out of the ballpark and and match uh, a Vlad Jr. Uh, home run for home run right up until the end until that last swing and. Uh, but yeah, it was impressive, and we we were both just speechless watching it, and as I'm sure everybody was, like, just could not believe it. I mean, how many times did Vlad Jr. hit the scoreboard? It was like, he hit the middle of the scoreboard like a few different times. Yeah, it was it was starting to get up there. I mean, it was ridiculous how he was doing, just the way he was hitting balls. You know who else was impressive? He didn't win it, but Ronald Acuna Jr. Oh, I was going to say, in. yeah. First of all, a right-hander probably shouldn't have won the home run derby, hit, winning, winning it as a right-hander over there would be really tough. And then to see Acuna going to like center field and right field with home runs was pretty cool too, just because he, you know, everybody thought that right-handers had a disadvantage, but he had no problem as a home run derby contestant hitting the ball to all fields, which was was kind of cool to see. I re- I really enjoyed that. You know, Guerrero is going to get the uh, get the spotlight as he should. It was impressive what he did, but I think uh, Ronald Acuna should get a uh, a lot of a lot of credit and a lot of praise for what he did as well. Because just watching him kind of just flick his wrists and, and hit those opposite field home runs, just flick that ball into the right field uh, corner. Uh, into the old bullpen uh, was pretty impressive, and yeah, I, I think of you know I think Alonzo and Guerrero kind of also hit the ball all over the field, but other than that, it was a strictly uh, pole hitting display for, by all the contestants. I mean, Jock Peterson did he even hit a ball uh, that went beyond like the uh, the bullpen seats? No, I mean I think every, everything he hit was to center field and left field, so. He was hitting them, but his were definitely more right field. So uh, just very impressive to see all the contestants uh, do as well as they did. I know Santana only had 13 and was out in the first round, uh, but he, uh, I think you and I both kind of said on Twitter during that that he his swing just wasn't made for a home run derby competition like this. I mean, he's got power, but he's not like a Jock Peterson or a Vlad Guerrero Jr. who can go up there in batting practice and probably hit uh, 40 balls out of the yard before uh, breaking a sweat. Santana's just not that kind of hitter. So uh, for him to hit 13 and uh, keep pace with uh, uh, the eventual winner, Pete Alonso, I think was an admirable display on his part. And uh, it was cool to see how much uh, of an ovation he got, both in the uh, home run derby and in the all-star game, because the fans were really behind Santana and and as well as all the All-Stars in the uh, game and the uh, Home Run Derby for the Indians. Yeah, I, I, he did better than I thought he did. I really thought there was a chance he would hit, like, I thought maybe a chance he'd go over. But, I mean, then I thought maybe he did 4 or 5, but he did 13, and I thought that was pretty good, and he had a chance. Uh, Alonzo's pitcher didn't do him any favors, but he gave him a chance to, to get to the next round. Yeah, so that was fun, and uh, good for Santana, and good for all the con- – competitors and I really I know I said this before but I think it was a great um home run derby not just in the sense of 
you know, all the home runs that were hit that was record breaking on across the board. But uh, the fact that the half the competitors, you know, you had uh, Ronald Acuna, you had uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., you had uh, Pete Alonso, and all these rookies, these future stars. I mean, we're we're pretty convinced that Vlad Guerrero Jr. should be a star for years to come in this league. Uh, we'll see what Pete Alonso can do. He's obviously off to a great start with the Mets. And uh, Ronald Acuna's a pretty dynamic player for the Braves and looks like he's going to be a star for a while. It's great to see these guys uh, make their make their bones in front of the national uh, stage like this and really make a name for themselves because I think a lot of people aren't going to be forgetting the name Vlad Guerrero Jr. for a while. No, and like I said, he didn't make the All-Star team, but I bet you next year or the year after he'll be there and nobody will be questioning whether or not he deserves to be in the home run derby. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, moving on to the uh, All-Star game itself, and uh, as I mentioned, the uh, AL topped the NL 4-3. to three. What is that, like nine in a row for the American League now that, that they've won? Seven. Or, or seven, okay. So uh, seven in a row for the American League. They've just dominated the uh, Midsummer Classic uh, in its history, and it was just another notch in the wing column for them. Um, not much action for the Indians All-Star contingent other than Shane Bieber um, winning the all-Star Game MVP, I mean, I know Santana and Lindor went 0 for, I think, uh, hand pitch a, a shutout inning, too, but uh, it was Shane Bieber who pretty much stole the night, I mean, with his fifth inning, uh, all three batters, all three strikeouts, just very impressive, and he did not look intimidated up there at all, and, boy, I gotta tell you, Shane Bieber, you know, he was, I, I think Corey... Kristen, our colleague and my co-host on the Farm Report, summed it up in a tweet today saying, like, he was a walk-on in college and, you know, he was drafted by the Indians and worked his way up through the farm system quickly. Uh, within two years of being ja- drafted, he was up in the majors and, you know, he was a last-minute all-star substitution and now he's the all-star game MVP. Quite a journey for Shane Bieber and uh, I know he was enjoying every minute of it. It's really crazy. I mean, he was a he was a walk on in college. Like he, the only reason he ended up, this was from a Zach Meisler article from the Athletic. The only reason he wound up making the UC Santa Barbara pitching staff is because Tyler Malley, who was with the Reds, was drafted out of high school. He was supposed to have that spot, and he wound up signing with the Reds. They they decided to give that open spot to Beaver, and I don't think anybody ever saw All Star in his future. So for him to develop the way he did for the Indians to develop in the way they did, and it's just unbelievable. I also saw him doing, and then the crowd was chanting, too. That's another thing, too. The crowd was into it. I mean, the crowd was, I, I, I go to a lot of Indians games, and I never hear chants like that for Shane Bieber, so that was cool. I don't hear chants like that for any player, maybe outside of Jose Ramirez. Oh, yeah. Hear that, the Jose that chant. Cool. Yeah, and then I, then I saw Clevenger, or I saw Bieber last night doing the little, Clevenger shimmy on the mound. He was kind of just rocking back and forth with his back and his hips like like Clevenger likes to do out there. I was like, okay, so clearly these guys all have a very big influence on each other. So don't don't overlook that and, and Bauer, because Bauer was gracious and, and Bieber earning that last all-star spot in place of Mike Miner. And you could see what an impact they've all had on each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, congrats to Shane Bieber for uh, winning the All-Star Game MVP. It's uh, another another impressive notch in his resume uh, as far as his journey from uh, college walk-on to the majors and him becoming a key member of the Indians rotation. So, uh, well-deserved as far as the All-Star nod and then the MVP. So, good for him. I know... I know that there was some uh, backlash as far as, you know, who should really deserve the MVP, whether it was Joey Gallo who hit the decisive home run or, uh, you know, Rollis Chapman who had a similar performance. But uh, I think uh, when it comes to the fan vote, the Indians really – fans really turned out and, and voted and uh, it was a word to Bieber. And I, I, I don't – you might be able to argue whether or not he was deserving, but I, I keep, there's no way you can tell me that he was undeserving. No, he was. I mean, it was either him, Brantley, or Gallo. Gallo did hit the kind of game-breaking home run because uh, the one guy that didn't do well was Brad Hand. And uh, Brad Hand could have cost him the game if it wasn't Joey Gallo's homer. But, I mean, Shane Bieber did strike out the side, and I can't believe that out of all the guys in the game that pitched, he was the MVP. They could just think of how good that pitching staff was. I mean, Justin Verlander... Uh, they, all the guys that followed in the American League, just great stuff. And Bieber wound up having just this great inning where he struck out the side. And he definitely was not undeserving because I think three pitchers last uh, last night struck out the side for the AL. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's definitely just another cool moment in this All-Star week for uh, – the Indians and for Major League Baseball in the city of Cleveland. So uh, great to see that. Uh, some other cool moments outside of the game that, but also took place during the game were, uh, first of all, CeCe Sabathia and Michael Brantley got some warm ovations from the crowd. Brantley during the uh, uh, announcements uh, pregame, and then uh, Sabathia got the chance to go out to the mound uh, when Chapman was pitching and give Chapman a. Uh, give Chapman the uh, pitcher visit, pitching coach visit, uh, so to speak, and but it was also a way to allow him, as the honorary all-star in attendance during his final season in Major League Baseball, to get the ovation he deserves from the Cleveland fans in the place where it all started for him, and I know he was very emotional and very uh, adamant in talking about how much uh, this city meant to him and this team meant to him, and the start of his major league career and you know he talks about one of his biggest regrets was not winning a championship when he was with Cleveland you know we think back to that 2007 team and you know now he's riding off to the sunset and you know could be a fringe hall of fame candidate who knows uh but for the time being though no, he's definitely got the a warm reception he deserved from uh, the Cleveland faithful here and I'm glad that major league baseball and uh, Alex Cora and Everybody allowed him to have that moment. Yeah, to come out like that was fun. Pre-game was fun, and then seeing him in, in the last moment walking off the field for the last time in Cleveland was definitely a lot of fun. And I don't think he got a good enough ovation because I think fans still, for some reason, I think fans are still, are still bitter towards him, which I don't understand. But I did hear some people who were, unfortunately, less than pleased about it. So that's unfortunate. But I think overall he got – it was a great uh, tribute to him and a nice gesture from Cleveland and, and the American League team to let him do that. Well, then there was probably the warmest moment of, of all and the coolest moment of all, not a dry eye in the house, and 
when this took place, when uh, Carlos Carrasco was recognized during the uh, traditional stand-up to cancer moment uh, that takes place usually during World Series games and then also during the All-Star game. And, you know, uh, Carrasco had his teammates and fellow All-Stars and Terry Francona out there with him um, during the stand-up to cancer moment. And uh, they all had their signs saying... uh, saying, I stand up for Cookie, and uh, Carrasco had the I stand uh, sign up there, so really just a cool moment, and uh, the fans gave him such a rousing ovation, and yeah, it got to me, I'll tell you that much, and it was a cool moment to be able to experience that and see just how much the city is behind him, the baseball community is behind him in this fight, and I can say he got emotional too. I can see it in I can see it in his eyes. He he could definitely feel the love from everybody around him, and it was very nice to see. Yeah, I I don't know how anybody could have kept a dry eye last night during that. And I walked we walked in and I saw the cards that were some people had went to a table and got those cards from Mastercard to fill out to display during that inning. In some places he went, already had those pre-made ones to, to hold up. And I was hoping they would do something for Crasco. I happened to be in an area of the ballpark where they were giving out kind of pre-filled out cards to hold up during that, that uh, segment. I was really, I would have probably made one for Carrasco myself, but I was hoping they did something like that. And, you know, you never, it's never, you never want to see somebody go through that, obviously, but for this to be for him to go through it and the and the game to be in Cleveland, it's just a great opportunity to put you know to put our support by behind him and I just don't know if you get that moment anywhere else. Yeah, it was it was very cool and that's I just kept seeing it retweeted from a bunch of different sources on social media today and everybody just talking about what a great moment it was and I'm glad uh, they were able to, they they were able to do that and. Uh, when they announced that they they were gonna MLB announced they were gonna do something special for Carrasco, I was looking forward to that, and I'm glad they were they delivered on it. I think they delivered on it very well. So um, overall, the uh, recap, final thoughts on the uh, All Star Weekend, very positive. Uh, we didn't even talk about the, uh, the the play ballpark over at the convention center. Did you get over there at all, Justin? I did not, unfortunately. That was the one place I didn't go. But everybody I heard said it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of things to do, and, it was, and the cool thing was, you know, there's a lot of obviously cool things for kids to do, but it seems like it was just for everybody. Like, I, I avoided it because I thought, you know, it's probably mostly for kids. So I, you know, I don't have kids or anything, so I was like, maybe I won't go. But it sounds like anybody that went over there, there was something for everybody to do between museums, stuff, um, all kinds of different information, games, activities. It seemed like it was worth going to. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't go, but I was just downtown so much over the last few days that I just couldn't get to everything. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned it before, but how about that weather this weekend, or this week, rather? Um, I know it's a little bit on the hot side, but overall, you just couldn't ask for better baseball weather. I know we were a little nervous with all the rain we've had and all the humidity, all the all the heat we've had uh, more recently, but uh, this week, I don't think you could have asked for better baseball weather, and I'm glad, uh, glad uh, Mother Nature was able to cooperate for once this week uh, as far as the All-Star game is concerned because I think that just brought everything all together. I know. It seems like it's rained almost every weekend since winter ended. Like, I feel like it hasn't stopped raining for the most most of the summer. So for us to have a week straight of, of great weather starting Friday when everybody got into town until 
yesterday and today, it's just, it was a blessing. I mean, I you couldn't ask for anything better. I think everything just was going in Cleveland's favor. I also think we should thank everybody who came into Cleveland, all the media and, and fans. Like, I mean, standing there in line for the Futures game Sunday, it really hit me. You know, I went to the Hall of Fame last year for Tim Tomey's induction, and when you go there, you see tons of fans from other teams. So you see almost every team represented there, whether it's a jersey or shirt or a hat or something. And then I saw that Sunday in line for the, for the celebrity softball game and the Futures game Sunday, I thought, wow, everybody who's a baseball fan, you know, it doesn't matter what team, is going to have somebody here. And it was so cool to see everybody, you know, just all day. I mean, Pirates fans, Astros fans, A's fans, Mariners fans, Dodgers fans, Detroit fans. They were, I mean, they were all there in one place. So for Cleveland to be at the center of the baseball world for, for a couple of days was really cool because, you know, we're—I hate to say it—we're not a great baseball town. Let's face it. So, but for for a couple of days, we were a fantastic baseball town and a fantastic destination city and a fantastic sports town. Yeah, and I just wanted to also send thanks to everybody involved uh, with with the uh, festivities and get and setting up accommodations. Everybody with the Indians. Everybody with the city, uh, they did themselves proud, and uh, hopefully this is another step forward towards uh, calling Cleveland a great destination city, because I think it's well on its way to becoming so. I think, you know, going back to, like, I don't know if it started in 2016, or when exactly it was, or if it just gradually, and it's just finally reaching... Uh, reaching its peak, I think that the city is really starting to rebound here as far as being a destination city because we're getting a lot more events here in recent years, whether it's the All-Star Game, you know, we got the uh, Republican National Convention a few years back. Um, There's a lot of events starting to come back to Cleveland. I think people are realizing that Cleveland's a great destination city, and I hope that this is just another uh, another notch in the progression towards um, making Cleveland into the uh, great city that it once was again and making it into a great city for the 21st century as far as uh, destination cities for conventions, for sporting events, for all-star games, what have you. I think it's I think that this All-Star game is just another example of how great this progression has been for for the city and for this area because I know that the people here desperately need need this city to rebound and hopefully that this is another uh, step in that direction. Yeah, I mean the NBA All-Star game is a couple of years away, so we're going to see it again real soon. Absolutely. So uh, let's get into our second half preview. We got, the, of course, the Twins, the series everybody's talking about starting on Thursday, uh, going through the weekend. We got Rock and Blast coming right out of the All-Star break, so already going to be some fun stuff and fun baseball. Uh, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything about the All-Star festivities, and it was fun to see, uh, you know, the entire baseball world uh, descend on Cleveland for a few days, but I was actually kind of in the back of my mind thinking, like, can we get on to the next series here, the Twin Series, because the Indians are playing so well, and, you know, I was hoping they were able to carry that momentum into the this uh, crucial uh, playoff implicated series here against Minnesota and you know the Indians have a chance to really make up some ground here so uh let's look at uh the second half preview uh in broad strokes first uh I have a few hypotheticals here we'll kind of go through this rapid fire first of all uh do you think Jose Ramirez can finally turn things around in the second half 
that's a tough question. Um, I guess it depends on what you say turning around. Are we are we saying the Jose Ramirez of old, the MVP candidate Jose Ramirez, or are we just saying be better in the second half? Because I think those are two different things. I'll say at least I'll say above league average. I think he'll be a product. I think he'll be above above league average offensively in the second half. I don't know if he'll vault his way all the way back to his MVP. Uh, talented form. I, it'd be great. I mean, geez, it'd be great if he could. The Indians need it. Um, my fantasy team would love it too. I, I traded for him a few weeks ago in fantasy baseball, hoping to get lucky and cash in and he turns it around. But I think as long as he's a, above a league average hitter, he'll be okay. And I think he will be. It might, it might take a little bit longer. I think by the end of July, you'll see him start to pick it up again a little. Yes. I think uh, you, we were seeing some signs of that. Uh, becoming a reality, you know, there's little things you pick up on as far as, you know, the balls he's swinging at, the way he's uh, connecting with pitches, uh, even though he, some of the, those hits might not be falling, you know, you notice some little things that he's doing well, you know, he's drawing walks again more consistently, which is great to see, so I think it's just a matter of time before it all starts to come back together, and I agree with you, I don't think we'll see MVP level Jose Ramirez this year, but I think we'll see above league average Jose Ramirez, which is more than Indians can ask for at this point, uh, given how he performed in the first half, so uh, next question, uh, will we see- Will we see uh, Carlos Carrasco and or Corey Kluber on the mound uh, again this season? And if so, in w- what capacity will we see them? I'm not going to say about Carlos Carrasco. It's so hard to predict with, with whatever's going on. I know he's been resumed to do throwing and a strength program. And with Kluber, I'll say yes for Kluber, but I, I don't know what capacity. I'm almost thinking he might have to be a reliever because – He's not ready for a rehab assignment just yet. So, what, he goes on a rehab assignment maybe in August, hopefully? So he's got a month maybe to, depends on when in August he gets to go. My only concern with those two is that, you know, the minor leagues end in Labor Day weekend. The captains and the, the captains is the only team right now that have clinched a playoff spot. So they're the only team guaranteed to play after Labor Day this year, and they're only guaranteed one home game. So my, uh, my real concern would the, be who's, who's going to have a chance to rehab. Well, I would say the Clippers are safe, pretty safely uh, in, the, in the playoff discussion here because I think they've got uh, the – I think they have the best record in all of AAA baseball. They have like a double-digit lead. I think they have a double-digit lead in their division. So I think they're – I think it's pretty safe to say that they will make the playoffs. Okay, so there's that. Plus, Chiway Hu's in Akron now and not Columbus. So that's a good sign. So it'll be much better without Chiway Hu in, in Columbus. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, wow, he slipped through waivers and he's in Akron. I didn't catch that. He's, he's had that bad of a year. Wow. He's had, he's had that bad of a year. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. So I expect more more likely to for Kluber to be back just because it's a baseball injury and not – you know, on for a leukemia, I, it's hard for me to say if Carrasco will or not. And who knows when when he'll be able to throw, and, and who knows how he's going to feel when he gets back on the mound too. You got to remember when he gets back on the mound, he's got to see how things go. You know, he's taking some kind of medication, I guess. You got to see how he reacts to all that first. Yeah, and I don't, 
I don't want to place that expectation on Carrasco because the first uh, – in this situation, the first uh, thing that fans should be worried about should be, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be able to come back from this? This, this is all – this is bigger than baseball. It's – you know, we're not worried – we shouldn't be worried about it if him coming back. I mean, I know that the Indians are better off with him in the rotation, but, you know, we're talking about a man's life here, and it's more important f- for him to get back to – uh, full physical health and uh, to be able to come back and pitch because so I don't want to play that place that expectation on him either. I'm not going to make any predictions. I just want to say continue to uh, get better, uh, Carlos. We're all behind you. Uh, as for Corey Kluber, I think we will see him back, but you know what? Unfortunately, I just don't see him them using him as a reliever. It just doesn't seem like a fit for me. He's been a starter for so long. He's eaten so many innings. Um, depending on when he comes back and goes through his rehab assignment and everything, I mean, that could determine it. If it's the end of this, if it's earlier, say like the end of this month, I think they, they, uh, bring him back as a starter. I don't see any other way to do it because they, you know, even though he might not be the Corey Kluber Cy Young winner anymore, but I still say they have so much invested in him as being, uh, a leader in that rotation. So depending on when he gets back, it will be a determining factor, but I see him coming back more likely as a starter. I I would say that too, but I'm thinking in the interest of time, if it gets pushes, if it's pushed late into the, into the fall or, you know, or end of summer here, when we get to August, I'm just really wondering if, time will not allow him to build himself back up back up to a starter unless you're maybe talking about using him as an opener where he comes out and throws two innings you know as a starter and then you bring in a bullpen after that yeah i don't know it's it's going to be interesting to see how they do do things because i'm also factoring in how uh, terry francona you know he him being more of an old school manager especially when it comes to his ace pitcher and i'm sure he still believes that Corey Kluber, at least in, if not in pitching talent-wise, at least in name, is still the ace of this rotation. So um, I, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, speaking of uh, pitchers, this plays into the uh, trade deadline a little bit more. Will Trevor Bauer and or Brad Hand be dealt at the deadline this year? I'm going to go ahead and say... Yes, on Trevor Bauer and no on Brad Hand. I think I think the Indians are going to have to make the difficult decision. Someone's going to make a good offer for Trevor Bauer. They know that if they wait till the winter, his value won't be the same, which is unfortunate. It's a tough decision to make. I don't think they'll get the offers for Brad Hand. They would deem necessary to move him. And I don't think, given the fact they're in it right now, they're going to want to trade two pitchers, especially – Someone from their bullpen that's been really good, but also has some leaks that are kind of popping up in the bullpen lately. So I think they'll hang on to hand, but you'll see Trevor Bauer get traded. Uh, I'll agree to both. I think Brad Hand sticks around, but I think that uh, we will will see Trevor Bauer get traded at the deadline because uh, I don't see the Indians. One, I mean, they're going to go through, if they go through arbitration this winter, he's going to be owed a lot. So I don't know if they're going to want to go through that necessarily. And like you said, his value is going to be, as long as he pitches well, um, heading in, into uh, the rest of this month, I think that his value will never be better. And uh, they should capitalize on that. And they can get an, a nice uh, return for him, I would think. 
Um, so on the flip side of that, if the Indians are, so let's say at the deadline, they're either in the division lead or neck and neck with the Twins, and um, they are going to consider buying. If they do, even if they do trade to Trevor Bauer, do you see them adding an MLB ready impact player at the deadline? I do. I think the reason they wind up flipping Trevor Bauer is because they're going to get a. They feel like they're going to get a, a Tampa Bay like deal where they get someone like, you know, a uh, Austin Meadows and, and uh, I'm Tyler Glass now. Sorry, the name was escaping there for a second. Tyler Glass now. They're going to get an offer. That, that's what I would trade them if they get an offer like that. Okay. So I'll uh, say yeah. I, I'll buy into that. I, I can see that. I think that they'll do that. They'll trade Bauer, but I think that they will add an MLB-ready player, maybe as like a cheaper rental, um, maybe like a, uh, a a Joe Smith type. I think that they might go out and add another reliever, so um, try to get somebody on a cheaper deal. Whether maybe he's at the uh, end of his contract, or uh, maybe like an another Oliver Perez type, like a younger Oliver Perez type. I could see them adding um, another. Uh, move that could be interesting and some people could might consider this as impactful as a trade depending on how well things go uh can Danny Salazar have an impact if he continues uh down the recovery road and without comes back without any setbacks if he if he stays healthy yeah I don't think anybody doubts his talent I think it's just all about health with him and if he ends up getting through his rehab healthy yes I think he might wind up being one of the reasons they trade Trevor Bauer because they feel like they might get Salazar back in some kind of role to add to their pitching depth. I mean, he's got 30 days in rehab as of what last or two weeks ago. He's already, I think, he's already pitched twice, right? Yeah, so he's already about halfway through that. So he is. So he's probably got two, maybe two or three more appearances to go before he can be activated. So he's he's halfway there, and and I think if he gets through that, yeah, he's going to show them that he's going to be an impactful player down the stretch here. I mean, he's got to be added to the roster. He has no options left. So when he's if he gets through the rehab unscathed, then he has to be on the roster because you're sure as heck not going to try to pass him through waivers after you gave him four and a half million dollars, and he definitely won't won't pass. So he'll be here. And this next uh, outing that he slayed the pitch on Thursday again for Akron, that will be a big test for him, I think. Because, you know, you, you're you in Arizona. You, he's been in Arizona for the last couple of years pretty much, uh, working through. He pitches in some uh, rookie league games, which, you know, it's his first live game action in almost two years, so that's a big deal. But, you know, once you start getting back up north, getting into some affiliated ball action, that's where the rubber really starts to meet the road there. So uh, we'll see if how that goes and if that – if that makes, if he makes it through that unscathed without any setbacks, and eventually makes it up to Cleveland, because yeah, he's closer than some people might realize at this point with that timetable. So, um, watch that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't realize he was that close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pitch, pitching for Akron on uh, Thursday. So, as we record this, so that'll be fun to see and hopefully he gets through it and is able to uh, work his way back and he should be in Cleveland right in the heat of trade season. So that I think will be a big factor into what the Indians do this trade deadline. 
He could be, yeah. I think if they think they're going to get him back in some significant portion or uh, role, it, it would make trading Shervauer a little bit easier. All right, so uh, heading into the second half here, the Indians had a lot of impactful production from a lot of their rookies they've called up this year in the first half. I mean, some might say you could attribute a lot of their early season success to the guys they called up, such as Oscar Mercado, Zach Plezak, Bobby Bradley, and even Aaron Savale in a limited extent. Um, what can we expect from these guys heading into the second half here, particularly guys like Mercado and Plezak and Bradley who uh, are more likely to have more significant playing time? And maybe even Savale, I would think, he has a chance of coming up and possibly contributing in the rotation again, moving forward, depending on what they plan on doing with Adam Plutko. So, uh, these rookies, what do you see from them? And, uh, do you see any other young players getting called up to, uh, help the team down the stretch here? That's a good question. I don't know who you're going to see get called up at this point. I think the only guys you see, I mean, I guess what Daniel Johnson maybe could be an option at some point, but that depends on who goes out of the outfield from here on out. I don't know. I don't think any other guys are coming up at this point. I think he's the only one, and that could be a, a September call at most. Maybe Yu Chang, you know, finds a way back on the roster to make an impact. Eric uh, Haas, I, I think. You know, I would really love to see Eric Haas come back up because I think he's more than ready to, to fill the kind of role that Kevin Pawlucki's been in. And I realize that they need catching depth because if they if they were to go ahead and cut bait with and, and they'd have to he has no options. So Kevin Boyk has the option to triple A and pass waivers. And I don't know that he would just because catching depth is so important. But I, I think Eric Haas is more than ready to fill Kevin Pulecki's role and he could play and help Perez stay a little bit healthier. Heck you could DH Perez some days. He's been hitting that good at points. I think he needs a break because he's been banged up. Maybe the all star break will be good for him but I don't know, maybe you know, so Haas and maybe Daniel Johnson and Yu Chang. Uh, I'm a little worried about Mercado. Mercado, his his couple of bats over the weekend didn't look good. He's starting to, I'm not saying hit a wall, but I think teams are starting to really adjust to him. And he's not walking a lot, so he's not giving himself a lot of opportunities to lay off some of the adjustments that other teams are making to him. I don't know about Bobby Bradley in the second half just because you know, he strikes out so much, it's hard to know. I think it doesn't really matter what happens. He's just going to have to run into some mistakes and punish him when he does, and you're going to have to live with the strikeouts. I don't think anything changes for him. You you live with the strikeouts if he can hammer mistakes. That's, that's just the kind of player he is. I don't see that changing. Yeah, I, I think, Bradley, you just got to ride out the string with him and see what he's able to give you. I mean, obviously the last four at-bats he's had, he's had some pinch hit appearances that have worked out really well. So we'll see if that continues and see how his playing time is parsed out from here on in. But uh, Mercado is definitely going to be interesting to watch. Um, I think that obviously defensively he's more than capable to man center field on an everyday basis. He's already made some great plays out there. Um, It's just a matter of, hopefully getting that walk rate up and uh, improving that patience at the plate a little bit to the point where, you know, he can maintain uh, a good on-base percentage and then eventually hopefully uh, maintain a good batting average so that he can get on base as often as possible and make an impact with his speed because obviously everything else seems to be in place uh, as far as his defense and uh, 
what he's able to do in the field and on the base pass. So uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. And I'm going to be very interested to watch the pitching side of things with Plezak and Savale. I know Plezak's uh, fielding independent pitching numbers aren't great. Uh, Savale, I'm interested to see if, in more than one start to see what he can do. He's dominating in Columbus right now. It seems like he has nothing left to prove down there. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to watch, too, to see how these young pitchers if they're able to step up and here in the dog days and really uh, pick up the slack for guys like Carrasco and Kluber. Yeah, and I'm also interested to see if they use these any guys in the bullpen. I mean, we haven't really heard when Jeffrey Rodriguez might have a chance to go on a rehab assignment. I don't know if he's even throwing again. So you have him somewhere in there, and, and maybe they could use some of those guys in the bullpen. You also cannot, I know this isn't the Farm Report podcast, but James Kernjack's supposed to be throwing at some point in the second half for Columbus. Uh, maybe, maybe possibly Friday when they start back up. So you got to consider that as well. I think I just want to see what they do with some of these arms um, that are starters that you may not have room for in the rotation, but have helped you out so much, and maybe put them in the bullpen because I think that would be a great issue. I mean, I would love to see Aaron Savali in a bullpen role for the rest of the year, or Jeffrey Rodriguez if if the Indians can get some of their depth back, and that that of course depends on Salazar and. The Bauer trade, too. But they've got a lot of options as far as arms, I think, that could help them in the second half. Uh, I know they they were concerned about police acts, pitch count, or innings pitched uh, a couple starts ago, and I almost wonder if they might keep him in AAA and just to keep an eye on his outings and keep his innings down, because he struggled the last couple starts. Yeah, so we'll see uh, how these guys do, and... Uh, this is the season of the rookie with the Indians. I mean, we've already pretty much established that at this point, and we're going to see how the re- these guys do down the stretch because this is going to be the uh, the true test for them as far as whether or not they're ready to take on full-time roles in the majors. So uh, this is going to be the true test of what they can do. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, bold second-half predictions. I wanted each to come up with what we think – is going to happen overall for the Indians down the stretch here in 2019 and what, how things are going to turn out. And, you know, we can make, make these predictions, maybe revisit them once, uh, once October rolls around in the postseason. But, uh, what do you think is going to happen here in the second half for the tribe as far as, you know, whether they're going to catch the twins, where they're going to, where they're going to make the playoffs and if, if they're going to be division winners or wild card team, what are your thoughts? I will say they're going to want to be a wild card team only because, I think Minnesota is going to make some additions to the roster. It's going to be tough to keep up with them. I'm going to say that Roberto Perez winds up getting to 25 homers overall. So what's he at, 15 now? Yep. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll say 30. I say he gets 30 home runs. Let's just go with that. 30 home runs for Roberto Perez. That's pretty insane. So I'll say that. Um, hmm. That's really all I got, I think, for bold predictions. I think, uh, like we said before, Trevor Bauer gets traded. Brad Hand does not. Uh, I'll, I'll say they trade him to the Padres. That's why I'm going to predict the Padres. Interesting. And then one of the, one, and they'll end up getting an outfielder from the Padres. They'll, they'll get a good haul. Okay. Not even going with the team. I wasn't even going to go that far. Uh, as far as my bold prediction, I think that uh, – the Indians are going to keep it interesting in the division, but I think that, you know, I th- 
the Twins are in a position where they're going to... I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point they're going to try to make some additions here and try to supplement their roster uh, for the stretch run here. So I think because of that, the Indians ultimately are not going to catch the Twins. And, you know, again, these predictions, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not trying to make this prediction to be the uh, Debbie Downer and woe is the tribe. But uh, I think that... You know, between the talent that the Twins have and they're probably going to add, I just think that the Indians aren't going to be able to measure up, at least this year. Um, I think that they maintain a wild card spot and will end up in the wild card game, but I think ultimately, because of the Indians' inability to catch the Twins, they will trade Trevor Bauer, uh, try to get a good haul for him, and then they, they will just see what happens. Uh, but I do ultimately see them getting knocked out in either the wild card game or in the ALDS. But uh, I I do think that what regardless of what happens in 2019, uh, whether they go deep in the playoffs or not, uh, I think this is going to be a good uh, a good productive season for the Indians as far as mapping out their future because you know we've seen all these young players come up. We've seen we're seeing what they're all about. Um, I think that for 2020 and beyond, the Indians are going to have a, a much clearer picture of where they stand uh, moving forward. And, you know, we might see some action in the off season as far as uh, supplementing the roster some more and adding more talent, try to compete uh, in 2020. But either way, I think that the Indians are in a good position to try and build for a future run, whether it's next season or the season after. Uh, but beyond that, I think that my bold prediction is, yeah, Trevor Bauer gets traded at the deadline. The Indians do not win a division, but they win a wild card spot, but ultimately end up uh, losing in either the wild card round or the ALDS round. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Also, hey, if they win the wild card game, that means they had a better season than a year ago because technically that means they won a playoff game. That's true. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that shakes out. And again, I hope I'm wrong with that. I hope they win the World Series. But uh, that's just that's my heart talking. I'm just giving you my uh, educated baseball opinion of what I think is going to happen this year. So, uh, but like I said, I, I think whatever happens for the Tribe, even if they don't make it deep in the playoffs, which I know that winning a championship is the ultimate goal, and anything short of that can be considered a failure for a lot of people. But uh, I think that what they've accomplished this year as far as uh, giving their rookies playing time and trying to map up the map out the future is something that will, will uh, end up being a productive part of their, um, I don't know, what would you call it, like a mini rebuild effort or just a retooling? Uh, I think that they're in, I think I just think that they're in a good position and they've made some good moves to try and see where their future is. As the great LeVon Washington once said, a minor setback for a major comeback. Wow. <laughs> LeVon Washington, there's a name. I was going I was going back through. Uh, I found some old pictures on, on one of my SD cards from one of my old phones because I got a new phone. I had that, found the SD card to put it in there to enhance my storage. But I, it still had a bunch of old pictures from it from spring training like 2014. And, yeah, there was uh, pictures of LeVon Washington in there. There was pictures of, uh, I think, Chun Chen in there. And there was, uh, there's old, there was old uh, 
Akron Arrows pictures in there from their last season as the Akron Arrows. Jesus Aguilar was playing for them, as was Tyler Holt, and a lot of names from the past there. So a uh, little walk down memory lane there for a second, <laughs> since you brought up LeVon Washington. Uh, but previewing next week's games, obviously you had the Twins coming to town for Rock and Blast weekend. Mike Clevenger will be on the mound for uh, the Indians in the first game. Then it'll be Trevor Bauer. Uh, on Saturday, and then uh, Bieber on Sunday. The uh, Twins pitching matchups have yet to be determined. Uh, then, after that, the Tigers come to town. Uh, those pitching matchups have yet to be announced. Uh, but the Tigers will be in town for four games before the Royals come to town. So, it's going to be all uh, AL Central week for the Indians. All AL Central homestand. So, uh, kicking off this homestand is... Uh, Crucial twin series. What are your thoughts, Justin? That obviously, like we've been saying, that twin series is huge. They play thirteen times here in the second half. You believe that? You're gonna play, and that's great. You're gonna play your the team you need to play the most. You're gonna play them thirteen times in the second half. So there's time to make up ground. They they just need this series against the Twins so much to sort of see where they push their fate of the trade deadline. I think I think that this series shapes what they do at the trading deadline so much. If they, I don't know if you're going to see them sweep, but I think we take two out of three. What's that get you back to, we pick up two games on them, so that gets you down to what, three and a half? Is that right? They're five and a half now? Yeah, five so and a half, two out of three, two out of three, yeah, we'll get them back to three and a half. It'd be four and a half if they, if they lost, if they if they won two out of three and they lost one, they'd get back to four and a half. Oh yeah, you're so right. You can make up a, you can make up a game on them, so that's huge. So I think they definitely have to make up. They need to take two or three of the series. I think they need to, they need to win the series and make up at least one game. Because they saw the Astros come to town this month. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a tough month. And I think the the next six games or so, this this first homestand of the break is going to wind up determining where they go at the trading deadline. And and, and to be honest, I, they it may it may make it decide where they do at the trading deadline. But I almost kind of think they might do whatever they're going to do regardless of how the series goes because they might trade Bauer even if they they sweep the Twins just because of the offer they might get. That's true. I think that uh, regardless of what happens, I think that the Indians are, know that they're in a position if they get an offer that, um, that blows them away as far as uh, a return for Trevor Bauer that they would be they would be ill-advised not to take it at this point because, you know, I know that keeping as much of your pitching intact as possible is better as far as winning a World Series is concerned. But you know, if you want to remain competitive for the future, um, it, dep- it just depends on you know how much the Indians are willing to gamble on this season and as far as uh, a World Series is concerned. And if you're willing to uh, put all your eggs in the basket with uh, the likes of Oscar Mercado, Bobby Bradley, Zach Plezak. Um, and then potentially being without uh, Carlos Carrasco and at least not 100% of Corey Kluber. So it's a lot to take in consideration. And if you get a good offer for Bauer, you have to at least consider it, in my opinion. So uh, other than that, though, uh, we'll see how this series uh, plays out. I, it would be awesome to get a sweep. I mean, that would put them three, three and a half games back. and Or, yeah, was, would it be three and a half? It would be uh, yeah, five and a half, four. So it'd be, have to be four and a half. 
three and a half. Actually, it would be oh, two, two and a half. half. That's it? right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Can I do math for a second? <laughs> yeah, no. no. Be... That's, why I, that's why I wanted to get into writing, because I was told there would be no math in writing. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, two and, man, can you imagine that? Two and a half coming out of that series with a sweep. Um, I will uh, caution the Indians, uh, not that... I'm sure anybody's listening with the organization of this <laughs> podcast, but uh, I will say that uh, if I were to offer one word of caution is if you do take two out of three or even sweep the Twins, uh, is to not let your guard down because those next two series against uh, the White Sox and the, and the Tigers, you know, those might seem like, okay, we can take a breath now. The Twins are out of town and we've played well against these guys before. That's a perfect uh, – you know, that, I don't know if trap series is a real thing, but those are two perfect trap series right there. Um, if the Indians even let their guard down for a second coming out of that uh, twin series. So make sure to uh, stay on your game against the uh, White Sox and Tigers because those are, even though they're not great teams this year, they can still uh, catch you off guard if you're not looking. Yeah, they definitely need to avoid that coming out of the break because the Minnesota series is so big. And they, I think they've done it this year. I think there's been series where they've, They've kind of overlooked some teams, so they really didn't need to avoid that. Exactly. So uh, hopefully they play well against the Twins. Hopefully they avoid the Trap Series against both, one or both of the White Sox and Tigers. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting the second half going. It, it was a fun All-Star weekend. Again, kudos to the team in the city of Cleveland for uh, doing a bang-up job as far as uh, hosting the event. But uh, now it's time to get back to baseball, and hopefully uh, we can look forward to the Indians uh, getting – overtaking the Twins and getting back on top of that division and hopefully uh, making a, a nice, a strong run towards the playoffs here. Yeah, this is the start of the crazy season. The trade deadline is going to have all kinds of crazy things happen, and hopefully the rumors don't uh, affect the team in a whole lot of ways because I know it seems like the team really wants them to Add pieces and not subtract. So I hope all these distractions, um, or they don't, all these rumors don't become distractions. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting rumors in the second half. People keep saying the Indians are the most uh, the most interesting team to follow um, in the month of July after the All Star break. I mean, just because they had the All Star game here and now they could buy and they could sell. Yeah, and maybe a little of both. Who knows? So uh, we're going to go ahead and. Uh... <clears throat> End our discussion there. We covered a lot of ground today. Uh, had a lot of fun recapping the All-Star game and then previewing the second half. Hopefully things go well for the Tribe. But uh, before we close up shop, Justin, anything you want to plug? Lots of things. Let's see. I'm thinking, since I'm working on the Lynchburg Hillcats notebook for tomorrow right now, um, I will probably have, I'm going to do redo my top 50 Indians prospects from the pre, from preseason to midseason. So that will probably come out Friday. Um We'll have another Diamonds in the Rough Saturday. That's either going to be Adam Scott or it's going to be Anderson Polanco, depending on some of the interesting information I get back on Adam Scott. Uh, obviously, the Hillcats notebook tomorrow. That'll be dropping tomorrow. And hmm, I guess next Monday, the 3 of 3 down column will return. So there's that. Yep, um, I was just about to mention Diamonds in the Rough. I was going to start doing one on uh, Jared Robinson, who's obviously been a late bloomer uh, this season and really starting to show up in the bullpen both for Lynchburg and for Akron. So uh, that'll be a fun piece to write. I'll also be doing the uh, Four Thoughts column this week. Uh, a lot of thoughts on 
uh, Jose Pastrano, the uh, Indians' new international signee, uh, at least the top of the class there, uh, number 25, uh, MLB.com, international prospect during this uh, signing period. Um, I also have some thoughts on uh, Cody Morris, so I know is hurt right now, but has been pitching his way onto uh, the radar here as far as uh, the prospect spotlight is concerned. And uh, also be talking a little bit about Bo Naylor, who's been hitting the ball well in Lake County lately. So uh, a lot of great stuff coming there. Uh, Diamonds in the Rough as well. And then uh, also check out the Farm Report podcast where uh, Corey and I discussed all those topics and more. So, uh, all sounds good. And, and, and a couple of those guys you mentioned, spoiler, will be in my new top 50, along with Ruben Cardenas, who was last week's Diamond in the Rough. So, if you haven't read the Diamond in the Rough um, piece on Ruben Cardenas from last Saturday, go do that. Sounds good. All right. Uh, beyond that, though, uh, be sure to check us out on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore baseball. You can hit us up for any kind of Indians questions or prospect questions. We're always willing to uh, chat baseball, so uh, you can always talk to us there. Also, follow the site account at official underscore IBI, as well as the uh, podcast account at Smoke Signals IBI. Uh, get all the links, all the breaking news, all the show notes, uh, podcast links, all this stuff you can find there. Um, uh, other than that, Justin, it was a great show tonight. I'm glad we were able to recap the All-Star festivities and uh, ready to get the second half going because it will be an interesting one for the Indians for sure. So, uh, uh, other than that, though, uh, for the Smoke Signals Podcast and Justin Lada, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.